Welcome to the Abundant Life Podcast. This is Pastor Derry. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus has risen from the dead in victory, he begins teaching his disciples about the kingdom and reminds them that they would soon receive the Father's promise of the Holy Spirit. In the modern church, there's been a lot of debate over the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, but the most important thing about the Holy Spirit is often overlooked. That most important fact is that he is the presence of God. Listen in, take notes, and I'll talk with you at the end of the broadcast. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, I am God's best. Woo, come on. Man, God was working and he said, that's my best work right there. Amen. Come on now. You need to know that you're God's best work. (laughs) That's hard to grasp, isn't it? Why is it hard to grasp? Hard to grasp because you have an adversary who persuades you of otherwise. He is often called the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that comes alongside of believers and whispers in their ear and tells them every flaw, fault, and inadequacy that they have. And not only did he come and tell you, he gives you a picture and then he holds the picture in front of your face. And when you try to turn, he tries to bring the picture with it. And he wants you to continue to look at your flaws and your faults and never, ever really embrace the reality that you are God's best. (laughs) I'm going to mess with you today all day long. Amen. I'm going to challenge you today all day long because I don't want you to be normal Christians. I want you to be God's best like you were designed to be. I want you to know that when you walk into a room and the presence of God is with you, that you're awesome, that you can take over the room if you have to, or you can blend into the room if you have to. That you don't have any limitation whatsoever. That's what I want you to know about yourself today. Some years ago when I was uh, young in the things of God, I met my wife and we got married and we had children. And I was working for this company. And as I was working for this company, one of the things that happened to me is I found out the anointing. I found out that the anointing could help me do my job. And so I was in my job and I was working and I was working in a very challenging job, but I was successful. I could just get things done. I was working in an organization. We were helping people who were coming uh, out of prison and they were coming to to start their life over again. And we were working with them and we were managing with them and we were uh, actually encouraging them and actually helping them find jobs. And it didn't make a difference. If people came and sat in a chair with me, I would pray and the Holy Spirit would show me exactly where to look to get them a job. The Holy Spirit would just help me. It didn't make a difference what they did. I would minister to them and I would talk to them about how to have a new life and how to be a new creation. And I would minister to those people and every time people would get jobs. The only way they wouldn't get a job is if they rejected what I said and went backwards. But if they listened to what I said, boy, I tell you what, they would plug in and they would find jobs. I remember this guy had been an arsonist. He was an arsonist. And he sat down with me and he told me what happened to him. He was from Philadelphia and he had uh, come to California for a party. And he had gone to this party and had an argument with the people who worked in the hotel. And he had an argument with them and he got mad and he set his room on fire. I was like, bro, weren't you in the room? <laughs> but he told me this whole story and how that, that, that mistake changed his life. He had been in college and he was, doing, he was moving forward. But this anger issue he was carrying with him set off one day and boom, he was right there. Things went wrong. So we sat down and everywhere he went, he, he had this calm demeanor. But when people would find out he was an arsonist, they said, that means he'll snap. And people would not, nobody would hire this guy. So I remember the day we sat down and we actually strategized and I prayed and God told me where to send him. And I sent him somewhere and got this job. So he came back and he shared with me. 
He said, man, I was in the lobby and I was talking to some other guys who had also got jobs. And he said, we, we can't believe that you're helping us like this. And so I was feeling good about myself. I was feeling real good about myself. And then one day, the company I was working for had a crisis. And there was about 35 employees. And they fired everybody except three people. They ran out of money. They fired everybody except the CEO, her secretary, and me. The favor of God, right? So I'm, once again, wow, Lord, what do I do? So I began working. I'm covering work for everybody. All the work people couldn't do. We still had contracts. We still had to honor the contracts. So I'm riding around to all these locations. I would drive about 150 miles a day. This spot, that spot, this spot, that spot. I'm going everywhere, driving this big old giant circle. I start the morning and drive, go to San Francisco and leave Vallejo. I drive to Hunter's Point, and then I would drive down to Santa Clara. Then I would drive around to uh, Santa Rita Jail. Then I would drive back up to the city of Richmond, and then I would come home. And I would do that every day. And then one day, I was waiting for my check, and my boss said, we don't have a check for you today. <laughs> I said, what? All this driving? She said, I'll get you next week. So I, I'm faithful, though. I kept on riding. And then next week came. She paid me. Oh, okay, but you know, are we going to be okay next week? Yeah, we're going to be okay next week. Next week came. Sorry, can't pay you today. And I went ahead. And I, now, now I'm borrowing money to get gas to go to work. And I could see my circumstances just kind of going down on me. And then I start feeling the pressure because I got two little kids at home. And my wife is expecting a baby. And I'm feeling pressured and pressured and pressured and pressured and pressured. And there's less money. And then, can you wait till next month to get paid? I finally had to quit my job because I couldn't afford to borrow no more money to work. <laughs> I can't borrow no more money to go to work. <laughs> to quit. But I said, man, I got all these people jobs. I'm going to get me a job real fast. I got jobs for murderers, arsonists. Everybody got a job. I'm getting me a job real quick. I'm about to get me one. A month went by. No job. Two months, no job. Three months, no job. Four months, no job. Five months, no job. Six months, no job. When your job is to get people jobs and you can't get a job, <laughs> there's something goes on inside of you that no matter how you fight it, there's an identity issue that's being challenged. And not only is there an identity issue, there's a God, where are you issue. <laughs> God, you was there when I was helping everybody else. Where are you now? I need some help. Where are you? <laughs> Especially if you've been an atheist <laughs> before you gave your life to the Lord. <laughs> Where's God? Because you know what the devil says? <laughs> you better go back where you came from. I'm under that pressure, and now it's getting closer and closer to baby time, and oh, man. And all the pressure just felt like, like, just, mm. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. See, what I was experiencing was crushing. I was experiencing a season of crushing. A season of crushing occurs when there is extreme pressure placed on something that is 
not as strong as the pressure. See, see the, the, the oxygen, the atmosphere we live in, there's what we call air pressure. There's a certain amount of pressure in the air all the time. But because our bodies are stronger than the pressure, we don't feel the pressure. That's why if you go up higher in altitude, you get tired faster. Why? It's because of the pressure of the altitude and you start to feel it all of a sudden. And so if you, uh, if you run three miles a day here and then you go to Denver and you try to run three miles a day, you'll finish your three miles saying that was not three miles. They had, I had to have ran 10 miles. That had to be 10. They said, no, bro, it's three. <laughs> it's the pressure. The pressure makes you tired. The pressure makes you, ugh, it puts you under weight. Pressure, when it gets on you, tries to crush you. Paul experienced pressure as a believer, and he understood all the other believers were experiencing pressure. But this is what he told them. He told them that, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He said, listen now, he said, you need to understand who you're dealing with. You're dealing with God, the God who is able to make light come out of darkness. That's the God you're dealing with. You're not dealing with common, ordinary. You're dealing with a supernatural God who shapes and molds things around you. Tell your neighbor, say, you might be under pressure, but it's not you. It's God. See, my body can take a certain amount of pressure, but if I had on a special suit on the outside of me, some of y'all might have seen the Avengers movie. You know, Iron Man's got this suit, right? And he's got, he puts this suit on, and when he puts on this suit, his body, which cannot take anything, can take all these hits and all these pressures, and he's flying high, all this. Why can he do that? Because he has something around him that makes him survive the pressure. <laughs> Guess what? Tell your neighbor, say, I think you got a suit. <laughs> yeah, you got a suit. You got a suit. Listen, here's my point before I even get further with this. I'm going to tell you what I'm trying to tell you. Today, what we're talking and focused on is the fact that every Christian, every believer has more power than they understand. Amen. And it doesn't come from who you are. It comes from what you're empowered with. It comes from the suit that God doesn't put on the outside, but God puts a suit on the inside of you. You got a suit on the inside of you that people can't see, but it's in there. And when it looks like you're going to get crushed and when you get pressure, you do not get crushed. Because the suit on the inside holds you up. Amen? Amen? Come on. That's why you have bones on the inside of you. It's to keep you rigid on the inside. <laughs> Amen? Come on. So you ask your neighbor, have you under been under pressure? Come on, verse 8. <laughs> yeah, I'm with y'all with me now. Come on. Come on. Verse 8. Excuse me, verse 7. Verse 7. That's where we want to go. Thank you. But we have this treasure in. Tell your neighbor, say in. Earthen vessels. Come on. You got treasure in an earthen vessel. You got treasure on the inside of you. Amen? Amen. Treasure. Look at your neighbor and say, I didn't realize there was treasure inside of you. <laughs> Listen, when I was under all that pressure, one day I came home. I finally decided I was going to take this minimum wage job because I just need to work. And minimum wage was at the 425 back in that time. <laughs> Phone a quarter. <laughs> we all know. There's ways I know. I took the minimum wage job because I need to work. I need to do something here. Because, see, when you're the guy who gets other people jobs and you don't get a job, you know what everybody says? He don't want no job. Folks start talking about you too. <laughs> you stay out of work a while. Folks will start talking about you. 
folks who love you will talk about you. <laughs> I ain't mad at nobody. Amen. Praise the Lord. They, put, they call me the L word, man. <laughs> the lazy word. Not that other well word, the lazy word. I'm not lazy. Well, nobody wants to get called lazy, amen? But the way it happened, it happened so that I had to be transparent when I didn't want to be. Some problems you go through privately, some problems you go through publicly. And when you go through problems publicly, sometimes it's so that God can reveal to everybody else who you are. <laughs> and I didn't know God was revealing who I was. I just knew I had a problem. <laughs> so when I took my minimum wage job, one day I came home from work. It was right down the street from our house. We lived on Kentucky Street, and I, lived, I worked right, on, right down the street from there. And so I came home one day, and little Derry was about three years old. And Tammy said, He's got a song for you. Listen. And so he sang this little song about don't let the devil make you afraid. I forgot all the words. But the long and short of the three-year-old saying to his daddy, don't let the devil make you afraid. And then when I was getting ready to leave, he came to the screen and said, don't be afraid of the streets, daddy. It's true. Don't be afraid of the streets. And when he did it, this passage that we're reading went off in my heart. It, it just exploded on the inside of me. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. While I was doing my job for God, I was still doing my job. I didn't know that God said, no, 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 son, I'm going to show you power you don't know you have. I'm going to teach you something you don't know. Praise the Lord. Look at the next verse. This is what it says. Verse 8 says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. I want you to focus on this thing right now. You got a treasure on the inside of you, and this passage says you can get hard pressed on every side, but the suit on the inside of you, who is the Holy Spirit, will not allow you to be crushed. No matter what comes at you, no matter what kind of pressure hits you, no matter what it is, God says you got a treasure on the inside of you, and this box will not stop the treasure from holding up. This box is not going to stop the treasure inside of me from holding up under pressure. And if you get sick, if you get broke, if you get challenged, no matter what happens, if you hold on to the treasure, you will not be crushed. Everything you think is important, it won't work when you get under pressure. The only thing that works is the treasure on the inside. Only thing that holds up under no matter what is the treasure. If you get left by yourself, the treasure's still there. Come on. If you get hurt, the treasure is still there. If people offend you, treasure is still there. No matter what happens to you, the treasure resides on the inside, and it will not, under any circumstance, give in to pressure. We have a treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellence of the power means this treasure is not just Fruit Loops. <laughs> Captain Crunch either. <laughs> this treasure has got power. <laughs> this treasure has power. So that the excellence of the power may be about God and not about us. Hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Even when you don't know what's going on, don't be afraid. That's why the Holy Spirit had my little three-year-old sing me a song. Don't be afraid. Why? Because you don't know what's going on, but you don't need to know. Because God knows. Yeah. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to imagine you're in a car and you're in the passenger seat. And as you're in the passenger seat, the driver says, we're going to drive across country. And your first question is, well, what route are we going to take? And the driver says, don't worry about it. I've already mapped it. I got it. You won't even ask again if you trust the driver. If you don't trust the driver every 10 minutes, are we going the right way? Are you sure you know where we're going? We, we really lost, aren't we? Our questions will be based on our trust of the driver. Tell your neighbor, say, I trust the driver. Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. When I went through my pressure, not only was I having a challenge working, I got a phone call. I was a young minister, newly ordained, and I got a phone call. And the phone call said, this Sunday you need to preach. I'm like, what? <laughs> I can't preach right now. I'm not in a good condition. <laughs> I'm not in a good condition to preach. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struggling here, y'all. <laughs> Man. Man. And what his worst part about my, my minimum wage job was a color tile. And they wanted me to wear a tile to work. <laughs> I'm carrying cement bags. Tile boxes, boxes of tiles with a tie on. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you got to look good because it's a store, but I'm curious, man. I don't want to wear a tie here. You got to wear a tie, man. Oh, are you serious? All my little, all my little slacks all jacked up now. I got concrete dust all on my clothes. I'm glad I'm entertaining y'all with my life here. <laughs> but listen, listen. If you think the outside of you is who you are, it's not. If you think the outside of you, who, and that's what God was trying to teach me. His son, the outside of you is not what's valuable to me. I got a treasure on the inside of you. Dirty slacks and all, you're going to be all right. Hole in your shoe and all, you're going to be all right. No matter what you got, you're all right. So I got to go preach with a hole in my shoe? Dusty clothes? I'm trying, you, you can't get all that dust out of them. You think you got all the dust out. And then you walk by something and you rub against it and it's a white. It's, I didn't touch anything white. Where did it come from? It's the dust in your clothes, bro. That's where it is. I would have been humiliated if I didn't know who I was. Come on. Check this out. Acts chapter 1. Jesus has been resurrected, and Luke, the apostle, is writing about Jesus. And verse 4, he says, And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he has said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put under his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I want you to point out four things here. The first thing I want to point out is that when Jesus had his disciples assembled, he told them there's a promise coming. You need to go and be in the right situation because a promise is coming to you. Yes. 
The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. He said it's coming. Now, most times we hear about the promise of the Holy Spirit and we get caught up and we get nervous because is he talking about the Holy Ghost, the tongues, and we talk about this and then we get all caught up and, and we get all missing on the point. The point is the Father made a promise and you need to wait on the promise. The promise is going to come. Amen. The second thing he wants to point out here is that not only is there a promise, but the disciples have the wrong question in their heart. Because once he makes the promise, they say, Lord, now that you've risen from the dead and you told us all the things you said are true and you've explained us the kingdom, you told us all about that. Now, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? And Jesus basically says, wrong question. See, what their thought was is Jesus has come. He just said there's a promise coming from the Holy Spirit. And they changed the conversation. They said, well, well, Lord, now are you going to restore the kingdom? Like, no, wrong question, man. No. Then he explains to them, it's not for you to know things that belong to the Father. The Father's kept certain things in heaven under his authority. It's not for you to know certain things. Number three. But you shall receive power. See, the answer to the question, is God going to restore the kingdom? His answer was, no, but you're going to receive power. (laughs) Is the Father going to restore the kingdom in heaven? The answer is, no, but you're going to receive power. You know what that means? That means, no, you're going to do it. It was the same answer they got from Jesus when they told Jesus, you need to send all these 5,000 people who are listening to you, Jesus. You need to send them away so they can get something to eat. He said, I will not send them away. You feed them. They said, we don't have nothing to feed these people with. It's just like me. Lord, I'm broke down. I'm in a bad condition. I'm, I'm working a minimum wage job and you want me to go preach the gospel to all these people in this church? I got a hole in my shoe and you want me to go preach to these people? What do you want me to tell them? Tell them how good I am. Are you serious? (laughs) Tell them how good I am. Tell them how blessed they are. Tell them, matter of fact, go to Psalm 91 and tell them in the secret place of the Most High. What? (laughs) You feed them. Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, here's here's what's happening. I was identifying with my financial condition and disqualifying myself myself from a call of God. And in this passage, the disciples are looking at their own situation. They're looking at the fact, you know what? We've been in a, a room praying all these days and nothing's happened. Excuse me, let me take that back. They went and prayed after this. They're in a situation where they've just discovered that Jesus has come back. And so they want to know, well, you know what? You're the one that rose from the dead. Are you going to restore the kingdom? He said, no, you are. And you know what? All of their inadequacy, all their feeling like it should be Jesus and not me, all that came back to them. And they began to get afraid. The fourth thing I want you to notice about this passage is the real promise is the promise of presence. The real promise that's here is not just that you're going to receive power. The real promise is the presence of God is going to be with you. Because it doesn't say that the Spirit is going to come and do the work. It says when the Spirit comes upon you. Let me help your understanding. There are four general ways that God is manifested in the world. The first is ideological for us, and that is God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. God is here. He's over there. He's on the other side of the world all at the same time. God's omnipresent. His presence is everywhere. 
David said it like this. He said, if I make my bed in hell, there you are. No matter where I go, there you are, Lord. Why? Because God is omnipresent. The second way is called manifestation of God. Manifestation of God. Manifestation of God happens when God physically shows up. See, if you just believe that God is omnipresent, you might believe that God is the universe. See, if you just believe that, you might be pantheistic, which is a belief that God is not just everywhere. God is everything. If God is everywhere, then he's everything. No, God is not everything. God is everywhere. There's a difference. And there are some people whose belief system is that God is in everything. And that's what we should worship. We worship the creature rather than the creator. But manifestation is the belief that not only is God just everywhere, God can choose to reveal himself. You can be walking down the street and God just decides he's going to put an anointing on the street. It's not attached to anyone. It's just God wants to show up. And there he is. That's what God did for the children of Israel. He said, guess what? When you guys go out, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go ahead of you rather. And I'm going to present myself as a pillar of fire and as a cloud. You can't touch me. You can't reach me. I'm not supposed to be touched. I'm just there for you to see that I'm there. God manifests. The third way is a visitation. A visitation is when God chooses to not just show up in the atmosphere. God chooses to show up and talk to you. That's what God did to Abraham. He showed up and talked to Abraham. That's what Moses found. When Moses went up on the mountain, he saw all this fire and this flashing. He saw a manifestation. But when he got there, God talked to him. That's what happened to Moses when there was a burning bush. The bush was burning over there by itself. And Moses saw it and decided to go towards it. But then when he got there, he got a visitation. <laughs> a manifestation can become a visitation. The fourth way is what the promise is here. It's the indwelling. (laughs) The indwelling of the Spirit. See, God can come and God can be everywhere. That's cool. It doesn't change my life. Because I live in the world where God is. I lived as a sinner in the world where God is. I know people who believe that God is but they don't believe that they should live according to God's plan. And then there's manifestations. I've seen people who know that they have seen a manifestation of God. They have beheld something that is supernatural. And they, guess what? They don't necessarily still even want to operate with God. I know people who God has spoke to, (laughs) showed up, whether in their head or whether audibly, who whatever, But I know people that way who still have not said yes to God. My father told me a story one time. He said he was in the Navy and he had an experience, got into a fight with some guys. He said they were in there. They pulled a gun on him. And he said he was standing there. And all of a sudden, they both looked straight at him and ran out the room. And he said as soon as they ran out the room, he heard the voice of God speak to him. (laughs) And the voice of God said, I called you to preach my word. He said, son, I heard that voice and I've been running from it ever since. My dad was 50 something years old when he told me that story. He said, I've been running from that voice ever since. He ran from it for 40 years. Finally said yes to the end of his life. Praise God, he got saved before he died. But guess what? What could he have done if he allowed the visitation to become a habitation? What could have been different about his life if just the visitation from God had changed from just a visit to a dwelling place? That he allowed God to dwell in him and move in his life. 
Let me tell you something. I want to encourage you. I'm going to give you one last couple pieces of things here, but I want to encourage you with some information. And what I want to encourage you to understand is that God has a plan for you. God has a distinct plan for your life. But your plan can't come to pass without the driver. The Holy Spirit is the driver of your life. He's the one who comes and sits in and actually navigates you to the place you need to go. And if you allow him to drive, he will take you where God's expected in for you. But as a personal confession, sometimes he takes the wheel and I try to grab it back. I start seeing the car going a certain direction. I try to grab the wheel. So your neighbor say, me too, me, me too. Come on. <laughs> yeah, come on. Jeremiah 29, I want to get two things to you. I'm going to get a couple of passages of Scripture, and then we're going to get you guys home so you can meditate on this. Not so you can watch the game, so you can go and meditate on the Word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeremiah 29 and 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will what? I will visit you. God said, I'm going to come visit you. But remember, visitation is not the fall. After 70 years, I'm going to visit you. When you've been in bondage, you've been challenged, I am going to come and I'm going to visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. So he says, guess what? He said, I'm going to come visit you and I'm going to put you in position. See, that's only the first phase. See, if, you, if God comes and sees about us, God coming to see us is just an identification, the fact that God pursues us with love. And that's one of those things we have to understand about the presence of God. Sometimes we believe that the presence of God can't stay somewhere, but God is the one who's pursuing the presence. He's the one that comes and makes the visit. Listen, if I come to visit your house, it's because I want to see you. <laughs> I need y'all to think about it. God said, I'm going to come visit you. What well, means I want to come see you. Yes. See, we got to sometimes break the challenges in our minds and the enemy is always going to try to persuade you God is not trying to see you. That God is not concerned with being connected to you. That God is separate from you. And you're going to have to find a way to get into the presence of God. I'm trying to tell you God's pursuing you to get into your presence. <laughs> Come on, I want you to understand. God wants to be in your presence. God wants you and him to be in the same space. God's desire is actually to fellowship with you. To be near you. To be close to you. To be close to you. God's desire is to be close to you. Tell your neighbor, say, my God wants to be close to you. Come on, go to Romans 8, 19. Romans 8, 19. Yes. Romans 8 and 19 says this, says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, everything in creation is waiting for you to be revealed. And guess what? God wants to reveal you. God wants to reveal who you are. God wants to take all the goods, all the treasure. Remember, remember what, what we started with? Yeah. Tell your neighbor, say, I am, I am. God's best. And God wants to reveal his best to the world. Come on, come on. Tell your neighbor, say, he's talking about you. Come on, I want you to understand. God wants to reveal who you are to the world. God desires to take the things that are in you and reveal them and present them to the world who needs what you have. Because you have a treasure inside you. Not made with hands. This earthen vessel has a treasure of God on the inside of you. Come on, come on. Y'all with me? Yeah. All creation is eagerly waiting for the revealing of you as a son of God. Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. 
I'm going to move quick so you guys can look at the screen. Here we go. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, what is happening is Jeremiah is giving prophecies concern, God is giving Jeremiah prophecies concerning the country of Judah, which is a portion of Israel. And so within this, the Israel and Judah became separated when there uh, was a problem with Solomon's sons and there was a splitting of the kingdom. And so Judah is now receiving a prophetic word. But one of those things that God talks about here is he says, I want you to understand, for my people have committed two evils. Two evils. One, they forsook me. In other words, I'm trying to be close to my people, but they're running away from me. That's evil number one. Evil number two is, and they've hewn for themselves cisterns. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. A cistern is like a vase. It's like a large-scale vase in which they would capture water, and that water would then be what they could use later on because they didn't have running water, so you got to store water. So they would have cisterns. He said, this is my people's problem. Number one, I, God, I am the cistern that they need. They've forsaken me. God said they forsake me. I am the fountain of living waters. See, fountains, by pressure, push water up. Cisterns catch what's falling. So God said they ran away from the fountain that's pushing water up to go catch whatever's falling. I'm, I'm the fountain of living water. I'm pouring water out. I got good life coming out of me, and they're running away from this to go catch something in a broken vase. <laughs> Listen, every time we resist God, every area of our life where we resist God, we're committing two evils. We're running, pushing away God, and we're trying to do our own thing. We're trying to build our own cisterns. We're trying to build our own stuff. And I catch myself sometimes, God says, do something a certain way. And in my heart, I want to obey God. But my, my, my evil adversary comes and whispers in my ear and says, man, just build your own fountain. Just, just build your own sister. Come on. Just build this. Come on. Just build it, man. You, can, you know you can build this. But God didn't tell me to build a cistern. God told me to obey him. And as a new covenant person, go to John chapter 7. And we're going to close with this. John chapter 7. Tell your neighbor, say, I refuse to be evil. Come on. John chapter 7, verse 37 says, on the last day, that great day of the feast. Just write it down and take a look. John chapter 7, verse 37. On that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Next verse. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow what? If you believe on Jesus, as the scripture said, the Holy Spirit in you is going to be a fountain coming out of you. And you won't have to build your own cistern because you'll be producing water, not catching it. Come on, how many of you would rather have running water in your house than a big old jug where you have to go take and scoop water out and go use what you got to use? That's how they did back in the country, back in the old days. Yes, yes. My friend back from Africa just said, now too, yes. (laughs) But if you have a choice between having a fountain and just catching stuff, what do you choose? You choose the fountain. Here's what I want to encourage you about today. We're going to continue with a series called The Presence of God. But I want you to understand the presence of God is trying to make a fountain in your life. He's trying to make a fountain in you. He's trying to get you not to build cisterns. Don't build cisterns. He's trying to get you to let him be a fountain by the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them, he said, go and wait for the promise of the Father because right now you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
And when the Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power and you will be my witnesses. You're going to have potential to do more. You're going to have power to do what you need to do. And you're going to have a sense of purpose because you're going to recognize you're called to be my witness. And every time you feel like you don't have enough, the fountain of living water is going to pour out of you. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39, this he said concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Listen, I want you to understand You don't have to go there. I'm going to read this to you. John chapter 14, verse 23. It's all about the presence. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Listen, if we as Christians can just accept the indwelling presence, of the Spirit. Just embrace the fact that God has really come to live inside of me. Because at some points, the enemy just gets us to think that God is just out there, that God's omnipresent. But when God says, I will come and dwell with you, it means that I want to get to know you. So I live with this lady right here. And because I live with her, I get to see all things about her. All right, keep keep it up, y'all. Keep it up. (laughs) Keep it up. (laughs) But I do. I get to see all things about her because we dwell together. Now, when we were dating, it was just visitation. When we were dating, I would just come visit, and I got some benefit, but I didn't get all of who she is. And before that, it was just manifestation because I just saw her, but I wasn't connected to her. And then before that, I was living in a world around her. But we didn't know each other because one of her best friends worked with me. So she was out there, but I wasn't connected. See, God says, I I, I know you understand that. And I know you understand what it means to just manifest. I see it. I know what it means to just visit it and get it occasionally. Occasionally, I would see her. And we'd have a nice time, and then I'd go away. And then I, I, I wait for the day to come again when I can see her again. But God says, no. You don't have to wait to come see me again. I'm going to come live with you. I'm going to come live with you. I'm going to live with you. And guess what? There are going to be some days when you make a mistake And you want to hide from me, but I don't care because I live with you. (laughs) That's a good woman there, boy. I'll tell you what. You understand what I'm telling you? The presence. God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm not coming to visit you. I'm with you. It's not a visit. It's not an occasional. It's not sometimes. When you go through pressure and you want to quit, when you want to give up, you don't have to because I'm with you and I got my treasure with me. And my treasure is going to hold you up on the inside. And when you want to give up, I'm going to be right there with you. This treasure that's in your earthen vessel living with you so that it never goes away. And guess what? The Brinks truck ain't coming to take it away either. Come on. It's treasures in here. It's embedded. The walls have been coated with the treasure. Everything in me has been coated with the treasure of God on the inside of me. And guess what? When I want to give up, I can't. Because God reminds me 
you can't separate yourself from me. Amen. Book of Romans says, what can separate us from the love of God? Not height, not depth, not with nothing. Not angels, not demons. No thing can separate us. What? Because he came to live and he ain't moving out. <laughs> he can't be evicted. He can't be. Can't nobody come get him out. You call the sheriff if you want to. He ain't going nowhere. <laughs> He's not leaving. He said, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. Mm. Tell your neighbor, say, man, it's good to have a house guest like that. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. Come on. Let's give God some praise. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory. Woo. Come on. All this week, I want you to meditate on the presence of God. Just meditate on the fact God is with you. God's got a treasure inside of you. God has put something in you, and he won't leave you nor forsake you. So Jesus said, behold, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you even to the end of the age. He said, I won't leave you orphans. Even though I got to go to heaven, I'm sending my spirit, and he will be just like me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's stand on your feet. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Next week, we're going to talk more about what the power looks like. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that this is a day that you made. We thank you that you are living with us. For by your spirit, you have come and resided on the Praise God. Today's message was first from our new series, The Presence of God. For more information about Abundant Life Worship Center, please feel free to check out our website at alwc.us. On our site, you'll find more information about us, our church and events calendar, and other messages that may be of interest to you. Once again, the site is alwc.us. You can also find us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash abundantlifeworship.net. God bless, and we look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. Until then, remember that Jesus came to give you life, and that more abundantly.